Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. This is the Daily Tip on the BetQL Network. Presented by BetMGM. Hour two of the Daily Tip starts... Right now on the BetQL Network, I'm Chelsea Messenger. She's Kate Constable, filling in for Jinx today. We've got a great weekend of college football coming up with all of the championship games across college football. I was going to say that last Saturday was probably the best Saturday of the year because it was rivalry week and we also had a late. But I guess you could probably make a case for championship week as well. Although we're seeing some pretty big spreads in some of these championship games. Like, of these games, I think there are only, well, there are a few that I do want to see. Oregon-Washington, of course, is the big one that has the most implications. Although, if there were chaos to unfold in the SEC championship game, that would be a big deal as well. So, Kate, where does your vote lie? What is the best college football Saturday of the year? Is it rivalry week? Or is it championship week? I think it's rivalry week, especially when you have teams like Michigan and Ohio State going into that one undefeated. Maybe it would have been a little bit better if Auburn was better this year, except that game turned out to be fantastic. Uh, Mm -hmm. Georgia, Georgia, like that one wasn't great. So this season, I don't think rivalry week has been... Uh, well, maybe that's not maybe that's not the case. Thinking back to those games, I mean that Alabama game on paper, like ahead of time, didn't look like it was going to be that great. Ended up being awesome. Um, but the implications that the college football playoff has this week in championship week is pretty serious across the board. Like you're going to potentially have a lot of one loss teams that the committee is going to have to figure out. Um, and so I think that makes this weekend a little bit more exciting this year. Ooh, even though I would argue that Ohio State, Michigan, like that was a massive game. Like that was basically the de facto championship game in the Big Ten. You know, like I know this week it's Michigan and isn't it Iowa? Iowa. (laughs) It's Iowa. I know, Chelsea. It's going to be painful. Wild. Everyone's like, don't you want to go to the game? Like, no, I don't want to pay money to go watch that trash. That's, That's just like throwing money away. Absolutely not. So do you stay at games for the full game if your team is losing or the game's really bad? Because I had a conundrum. I think it was on Sunday. Yeah, it was on Sunday. 
I was at the Panthers and Titans game. And when I'm saying these offenses were unwatchable, oh my goodness, <laughs> the Panthers offense, it was making my eyes bleed. Plus it was kind of raining a little bit. I think this is the first time I've left a game early, but I left the game early. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I did have my daughter at home. I felt bad that my dad was watching her. So I was like, all right, I'm not going to make my dad sit and watch my three-year-old for four hours while I watch, you know, the Panthers fail to convert yet another third and 17. So like we did go home early, but I felt bad about it. Do you ever leave games early or do you think that's a no-no? You know, I'm like a, I'm like a 60 year old woman when it comes to game, I'm like panicking getting out of traffic in the parking lot. So I mm. love leaving games. If it's, if the game is already in hand, if it's close game and like it comes down to the last couple of plays, no, I will be there every time. But if a team has clearly won the game, I have no problem sneaking out five minutes earlier. So I want to beat all the traffic. I hate sitting in traffic. And part, I, I guess part of that is like growing up. That's what we did. My dad would take me to Timberwolves games and we would just be like, we would stand up at the very top of the the stairs by the concourse and watch the final seconds and then just book it out of there. So that's kind of how I yeah, grew up doing it, which is what I still do now as long as the game is is not coming down to the final possession. I think leaving early is just fine. Yeah, sounds sensible enough, even though I know some yeah. people would disagree with us because there have oh, been sure. some epic comebacks. Like I'm remembering the Miami Heat in the NBA Finals when they showed all of the fans like leaving and then like yes. Ray Allen hit that three at the end and all of those people missed that shot. But I think it is different if it's the NBA Finals. I think yeah, we I would probably have stuck around for that one as opposed for to a sure. regular season game between the Panthers and the Titans. All right, so let's get to yeah. some of these championship matchups in college football, starting with the big one, number six, Oregon versus number four, Washington. Oregon laying a big number here. The spread is nine and a half. The total is 65 and a half. So when you see a spread this large between two teams who have already played this year, Washington actually won that game by a last minute field goal. What does this line say to you? I mean, it says that Oregon's going to win this game and win it big, but I'm not sure I believe that. Washington, the last couple of weeks, have kind of sputtered. They really have not been great, especially um, comparatively to how they started the season. They were putting up 40, 50 points a game. I mean, to barely get past Washington State last week, Oregon State the week before, um, 24, 22 points these last couple of weeks. That's concerning, especially when you have an Oregon offense that is of the best in the league. I mean, Bo Nix completing 78% of his passes. The Ducks lead the nation in offensive success rate, number two in EPA per play. The issue here with Washington, it's not that I don't think their offense is capable of keeping up with Oregon. It's their defense that concerns me because the Ducks are legit on the defensive end. Washington is not. But nine and a half points in a conference title game where the winner likely makes it into the college football playoff. I think this is too many points. So I would look to take the points with the Huskies, um, but the Ducks are the better team right now. That scares me a little. I still, uh, I'm, I'm going with the Huskies here um, and Michael Penix Jr., his wide receiver core, they can, they can do some damage as well. So too many points in a in a conference championship game for me to lay them with Oregon. Yeah, that's what I think. It almost seems too obvious, though. Like, whenever yeah. a play seems too obvious to me, that's when 
I feel it's uneasy about it. Yes. Yeah, because this isn't even a home game for Oregon. This is at a neutral site. It's a championship game. And I feel like Oregon has been playing well, but I do think this is a tough matchup against Washington. Michael Penix Jr., it looked like he cemented his Heisman case last time these two met up. Now it's Bo Nix that's one of the favorites to win the Heisman. So that's my other question. Bo Nix to win the Heisman is minus 150. If you think that Oregon wins this game and Bo Nix puts up the type of numbers that he did last time around against the Huskies, would you rather take that? Or do you see Jaden Daniels across the way and say, okay, well, Jaden Daniels maybe doesn't play for the better team, but right now he has 50 total touchdowns to only four interceptions. I think this is such an interesting discussion for Heisman because earlier in the week I said, okay, if you think Oregon wins, instead of taking a minus 375 of the money line or minus nine and a half, you just take Bo Nix to win the Heisman at minus 150. But now I'm kind of walking slowly back into the bushes like Homer Simpson in that gift. <laughs> so what do you think about this? Do you think you take Bo Nix to win the Heisman here? I kind of like that play, Chelsea. I mean, I'm not going to. I have a Jane Daniels ticket and I have a Penix ticket. I don't have a Bo Nix ticket yet. But if Oregon wins this game, Bo Nix is likely going to win the Heisman. Because if Oregon wins this and wins it big like the, the books are projecting, he's going to have massive numbers offensively. So maybe that's one way around this is you're not asking Oregon to cover the nine and a half, but you're taking, you're laying a little bit more juice uh, to take Knicks for the Heisman and just basically you're, I mean, does that kind of mean you're taking Oregon on the money line by taking Bo Knicks, but you're not, you're getting That's it at what, I'm saying. what did you say it was? Minus 120 versus minus 375. I think that is far and away probably the best way to play this game. That's a great call. Actually. I hadn't really thought of that. I just keep going back and forth because it's one of those things where I always say that people aren't going to change their opinion based on what you see on Twitter, like usually for political stuff, because people love saying like, oh, here's my case for this. You're not changing people's minds. But I saw a tweet on Jaden Daniels, somebody arguing the case for Jaden Daniels to win the Heisman. And his numbers this year, they fly off the page. And I get it. LSU, not one of the better teams this year. But still, we've seen this before. The year that Lamar Jackson won the, the Heisman, Louisville, I think, played in like the Tax Slayer Bowl or something. They were not one of the top teams in college football. So I just keep going back and forth and saying, okay, if you take somebody at minus 150, you need to really believe in it. That's what I keep coming back to is it, it's kind of a lot of juice for somebody who I'm not completely sold on. But it feels like the committee loves themselves and Bo Nix. So I do feel like he probably is going to win it. So like I said, instead of taking, oh man, this is moved. It's minus 185 over at BetMGM now. Bo Nix to win the Heisman. Ooh. So maybe you can still get a minus 150 elsewhere. But still, that is the alternative to laying a big number on the spread with Oregon if you think that Oregon wins. Although maybe I'll just take the nine and a half with Washington there. Let's look at uh, some of these other championship games. We know Jenks is all over Texas laying a big number against Oklahoma State. In the Big 12 championship game, total of 55 and a half. We've got the SEC championship game between Georgia and Alabama. I think that is the more interesting of those two games. Georgia laying four and a half, total of 54 and a half. Of those two, Kate, is there a game that you'll be uh, placing a wager on? Uh, I do like Texas. 
I think that they can have a lot of success in this game. Longhorns defense um, is great at stopping the run, and that's what the Cowboys rely barely, very heavily on. Um, Texas number four in the defense in in the country in, in stopping the run, 85 yards per game. I think um, I don't love that we're now having to lay the hook in 14 and a half early in the week. It was just at mm-hmm. 14. Um, but I think Texas is probably the right side here. Alabama, I'm going to take the points with the tide. It's Nick Saban going up against his former, um, assistant, assistant. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, Kirby smart has beaten him, but for the most part, those, those, uh, opponents, well, I guess Sarkeesian beat him this year. What am I talking about? Either way. Overall, the numbers are good though. Yes, the stat yes, you're re- referring to is certainly valid. Over the years, it certainly has been Nick Saban beating up on his former yeah. employees. But I think a lot of it is the way that Alabama is playing right now because it's an interesting team because over the course of the season, they've had some major ups and downs. In fact, Jalen Milrow sat a game. He was benched. So I think this yeah. is a team that maybe you're still – yet to see their best work. And coming off the Iron Bowl, I think some people say, oh, well, they played against Auburn terrible, and Auburn's not even a good team. That's a rivalry game. I think you kind of have to throw those type of games to the wayside and say, okay, that's a one-off. It is a very different scenario, especially that game uh, played uh, at Auburn. So I think it would not shock me if uh, Alabama can keep it close, but I'm taking a look at a total here. 54 and a half. If you think Alabama can keep it close, I think we see a higher scoring matchup because look at Georgia's offense averaging over 42 points per game. Alabama's uh, offense has looked good uh, with the exception of last week, kind of struggled in the red zone for the most part, except for the last minute of that game. Uh, So I think if Alabama can score some points here, the over of 54 and a half, I think is my favorite play here. I like that too, Chelsea, because Georgia's defense is not the same caliber defense that we've seen them have in the past. And one of the things that they've struggled with is uh, containing mobile quarterbacks. And that's what Jalen Milrow is. I mean, he can scramble. He can use his legs. That's been a weakness for Georgia. So, and to your point, Georgia's offense is great. If Bama wants to keep up, they're going to have to score. So I wouldn't hate a look on the over in this one um, or take in the points with the tide. Saban in another stat of his three and zero against the Bulldogs in the sec championship game. So yes, he's lost to Kirby smart before, but he's pretty good in these spots. I, I would still have to trust Saban over um, Kirby, even though the tides in college football have kind of shifted and Georgia is now the new Alabama. I still think uh, the crimson tide could cover five and a half in this one. Yeah. It's weird to get Nick Saban as an underdog. I'd love to right? see the stats on that. Like Nick Saban getting points. It seems very odd. So maybe there is some value to be had there when you are getting those five and a half points with the Crimson Tide. Uh, Kate, I think you're one of the few people I have heard who like Florida State in this ACC championship game, if I'm remembering correctly, to your appearance on this very show yesterday. So why do you like Florida State again? Because I think everybody and their mom is on Louisville here. Yeah, I like Florida State because... Yes, the quarterback situation is concerning. Jordan Travis is out. Uh, their backup, uh, Rodemaker, I believe. Let's see, I don't even. Yeah, Tate Rodemaker. Um, mm-hmm. He was fine last weekend. He wasn't good 
He wasn't great, but he wasn't bad. As long as he doesn't turn the ball over, Florida State still has so many weapons in the backfield and on the outside to put up numbers offensively, and their defense is still pretty good. The biggest concern here is their ability to stop the run, which is something that Louisville is very good at. But if they're able to do that, I think that they can win this game and win it outright. Plus, you're undefeated on the season. One win gets you likely into the college football playoff. This is a short number, minus two and a half. I think they can win it by a field goal as long as they take care of the ball and don't turn it over. So I'm going against kind of what the the popular public opinion is, which is Louisville Cardinals. Uh, I'm not sure I, I fully trust them. After the break, we'll get to Thursday night football. Can the Cowboys cover a big spread? Next on the Daily Tip. The Daily Tip will be right back on the BetQL Network, presented by BetMGM. Welcome back to the Daily Tip on the BetQL Network, presented by BetMGM. Welcome back. Time to get our bet on for Thursday Night Football. Looking at the Cowboys and the Seahawks and trying to find the best plays on the board on this Thursday edition of the Daily Tip. I'm Chelsea Messenger. She's Kate Constable filling in for Jenks today. So I'm looking at this game. And normally, I really like props in prime time. Usually, there is something that I can target that I really like, but I'm having difficulties in this game because usually, if you're expecting a blowout, you point your finger directly at the the running back for the team that you expect is going to be on the winning side. You say, okay, he's going to have a big night because they're probably just going to run the football at the end. But I'm looking at Tony Pollard's game logs, and even in some of these blowouts, He's not getting that many carries, and he's not getting that many yards, or at least in respect to the number that you're getting at him tonight. Uh, Tony Pollard's rushing prop set at 63.5 over at BetMGM. And in some of these blowouts, it's been Dak Prescott that's been piling up the yardage, which is the complete opposite of what you would expect. Usually in blowout games, you don't expect the quarterback to be throwing the ball that much, but I can't seem to put my finger on it. So when you have a game like this, do you just not play the props market or do you look at something else? Do you get what I'm saying here? Yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, I think in this case, the Cowboys, like they don't go to the run typically or as much as a normal team, the average team would once they're up big, they continue to throw the ball, which to your point with Dak piling up the yardage, like that's what we've seen. Mm -hmm. Um, be the trend for the Cowboys specifically this season. So I would stay away from Pollard's rushing, especially because I mean, Matt threw in the chat that Seahawks are pretty good against the run. So slowing Pollard down, he has not played as well as I think. I mean, I personally thought he was going to this season and you know, the general public with him being the full uh, RB one this year with, with Zeke gone, mm-hmm. it just has not been the same. I'm looking at Pollard's receiving over in this game at 19 and a half because Seattle, while they're good at stopping the run, they're giving up a ton of receiving yards to opposing running backs. They are bottom 10 in targets, receptions, uh, receiving yards and receive our yards per reception to opposing backs. And if you look at kind of what they've allowed these past couple of weeks, 25 receiving yards to Christian McCaffrey last week, 28 to Daryl Henderson in week 11, 119 to Brian Robinson Jr. 
and 42 to Antonio Gibson in week 10. Um, it's just been bad. Pollard has gone over this number against the Commanders, Chargers, Jets, and 49ers, all of which rank in the bottom half of the league in receiving yards allowed to opposing running backs, which Seattle fits into that category. So that's the only prop that I really have nailed down for tonight. I would look at CD receiving yards or receptions over, knowing that Dak, you know, like you mentioned, in those situations, late games, even if they're up, he's going to continue to throw the ball. Yeah, I thought that too, but then I remember wanting to take CeeDee Lamb last week because he had a great matchup. Smash spot against the Commanders who are giving up the most receiving yards to opposing receivers. CeeDee Lamb's prop, I think, was like 90 and a half, and he didn't get it. Like, it wasn't really a I massive game for CeeDee Lamb. Only had 53 receiving yards. It was Brandon Cooks that led all receivers in that blowout of the Commanders. So maybe you look at Brandon Cooks. I think the bottom line for me is that you take some kind of receiving prop because Dak Prescott has the ability to really pile up the yards. So I'm not sure which receiver it's going to be, but Dak Prescott has thrown for over 300 yards in four of his last five games. So those yards have to go to somebody. So maybe you just pick a receiver. And like you said, Tony Pollard fits that bill. It's a low number as well. Uh, so I'm trying to wade my way through this. Maybe it's going to be another Brandon Cooks game. Somebody who has had uh, some big games as of late, even though I'm not seeing. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Uh, receiving props. I was looking at the rushing. Uh, let's look at Brandon Cooks. 41 and a half. Feels like a gettable number for Brandon Cooks, especially if you think Dak Prescott has a big game through the air. So usually I like to play props. But maybe this is a game where I just play the spread because I think I actually have a better handle on the spread in this one. <laughs> Then I do props, so let's get into it. Uh, spreading this game, Dallas laying nine points at home, total of 47 and a half. And I think you and I are both going to be on the Cowboys here. Don't know if it makes the card for you, but I feel like you can make a really solid case for the Cowboys laying this big of a number. Of course, this is a huge number to lay in the NFL, but when the Cowboys are favored, usually they have been very good to betters. Eight and one against the spread this year as favorites. They have six games this season where they have, or excuse me, seven games this year that they have won by 17 plus points. So when the Cowboys win, they win big. And they're a team that does not take their foot off the gas pedal. Some of these scores have been really lopsided as we just saw in that commanders game. So when you're looking at this number, Kate, I think we have agreed that Dallas is probably going to win this game. What's the case for the Cowboys or conversely, can you make any kind of a case for the Seahawks. My case for the Cowboys is stronger than anyone I can make for the Seahawks. And uh, I mean, at some point, Dallas's dominance at home over bad teams, like likely will go the other way and you'll see a little bit of um, variance there, but I just don't see that being the spot. They've won 13 games at straight games at home, dating back to last season. Cowboys have outscored opponents 198 to 60 at home this year. And I, the Seahawks, to me, are just not – the 6-5, and five, they're above 500. They're not a great team. They've been terrible in the month of uh, November, 1-3. Uh, and three. And, yes, losses to San Francisco and um, Baltimore, like, those are two of the top teams in the league. So you can't fault them too much. But Seattle has kind of shot themselves in the foot in a lot of these games. ton of penalties. 
ton of um, turnovers, things like that. You can't do that against a team like Dallas, whose offense has been absolutely rolling. You just mentioned how many yards Prescott's putting up every game. You know the Cowboys are going to be able to score. So if, if you're the Seahawks, you can't have those same issues pile up again. Seattle's offense, only three offensive touchdowns in its last four games, hasn't scored an offensive touchdown in its last seven quarters. Plus, Chelsea, they just lost last week to Seattle. Who do they have next week? Or not Seattle. Seattle just lost last week to San, San Francisco. Francisco. Mm-hmm. Seattle also plays San Francisco next week, a division game. So this is kind of a sandwich spot for the Seahawks. And, I mean, they can't look at it in that sense because if you don't win any games, like you're not going to be able to make the playoffs, even as a wild card, anything like that. So, um, I'm, I just, I think the Cowboys are the right side. I know that's probably square and this is a lot of points, but I just don't see the way this offense is rolling for Dallas. I don't see it slowing down against the Seattle defense. Yeah. If it was on the road, it'd be one thing, but like you said, the Cowboys at home have been an absolute wagon this year, five and zero straight up and against the number. And if you look at Dak Prescott, he's completing 77% of his passes at home, 15 touchdowns to only two interceptions. Looking at the total, we've got uh, 47 and a half. It's a relatively high total, but we have seen some of the numbers that the Cowboys offense has been posting. So I think for that reason, I'm going to stay off of this because I can see this game being like, you know, 31-10. And that's an under, even though the Dallas offense really gets it going. But I also saw this, a team total for the Seahawks, 19 and a half. Seems pretty high to me, right? That does seem very high, especially which with what I just talked about with their mm-hmm. offensive struggle to score touchdowns. Like field goals is not going to get you there. You're going to have to find the end zone, and they've really struggled to do that lately. Um, especially, I mean, their red zone opportunities lately haven't been able to punch it in. Again, don't think that's going to change against this Cowboys defense. So I think if you like unders, especially with primetime unders being so hot this season a way around that if you think the Cowboys are going to score a ton and maybe push this game over is to take Seattle's team total under because 19 and a half does seem pretty high, especially considering what they've scored against good defenses in San Francisco last week, 13 points Baltimore earlier this year, a couple weeks ago, only three. I have to imagine it's going to be something similar tonight. I think you're right. I think that's a way to kind of play the primetime unders trend without worrying about how many points did the Cowboys score. Because I thought, okay, well, if I think the Cowboys are going to score a ton of points, let's look at their team total. But it's 27 and a half. It is over that key number of 27. It is juiced to the over at minus 130. So maybe that's a stay away for me. So maybe I'll just stick with the Cowboys minus nine. We always kind of walk down the road of same game teasers, but I think the total's kind of tough in this one. Because when I say same game teaser, I mean you get six points in your favor. You play the spread in the total. So if we do like the Cowboys, you get them down to three. And if you like the total, you add six points to that. That would be 53 and a half. I think you would hit the under at that point. Do you ever play these, these same game teasers? I real I have I actually have never done a same game teaser before. But I kind of, hearing you say that, I kind of like those numbers. Because I think this is a good a teaser spot for Dallas. I mean, getting it at nine now, if you'd gotten it at eight and a half, that would have been a little bit better. But still, I think you could tease it down to maybe do a six and a half point teaser and throw in two other legs in there. Not a same game. But thinking of the same game, because if you put it up to 53, what did you say? Is that 53? 53 and a half. 
I don't see this game going over that. So that actually I don't think so either. <clears throat> well, especially because you do get a, a push at three. And yeah. so I don't think it's too terrible of a line because nine is usually a good teaser leg because you can go through all the key numbers. You go through seven, six, five, actually a sneaky key number in football, and then you get it right at a field goal. Although I think the Cowboys, just plain and simple, are probably the play here. Just maybe another creative way to play it. Usually I will do some kind of a same game parlay as well. Um, are there any anytime touchdown bets that you like here? We were just kind of looking at Tony Pollard's because usually one would think that he is a great anytime touchdown play. He is a running back that has good hands. So usually you have two ways to score a touchdown. You can run it in or you can catch it, but he only has four total touchdowns this season. And his anytime touchdown play is minus 145. We do think the Cowboys are going to score a lot of points, so there probably will be a lot of opportunities. But do you think that's too much juice for an anytime touchdown play? Yes, I do, especially knowing that he hasn't found the end zone a whole lot this season. Only, what, three or four times? I would look four. towards yeah. receivers. Maybe maybe do you do a CD and a Cooks? Because Dak, past couple games, four passing touchdowns. Two, four, three, four in his last five games. Like, he's throwing the ball uh, and finding his receivers in the end zone. I guess Pollard could always be a receiving back and score that way. I mean, I do like Pollard's receiving yards over, but I would look towards, mm -hmm. you know, a CD lamb, a cooks, someone like that uh, to find the end zone, just knowing that they're going to throw the ball a little bit more than they likely will be running it, especially against Seattle who has a decent run defense. Um, so that's how I'd look at any time touchdowns Dak to find the end zone too. You know, they get in the red zone. They're on, you know, four or five yard line. Maybe he is scrambles in, Something like that. I, I wouldn't hate looking at Dak for an anytime either. Right. Especially somebody who's trying to make an MVP case. I think mm -hmm. we saw going into the season, Dak Prescott was so set on changing the narrative because last year he led the league in interceptions. And when you were the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, you're going to hear it from the media members that it's all on you. You're the problem. They paid you all this money and look at what you're doing. But it's been a stark contrast to this season where he is slowly building his MVP case. Really good numbers for Dak this year. Uh, if you look at his overall numbers, 23 touchdowns to only six picks. He has really cut back on those giveaways. So if it's somebody who's trying to build a case for MVP, I would not be shocked if he tries to take it in himself and score a touchdown, especially when we do think there are going to be quite a few touchdowns for uh the dallas cowboys uh do you ever do first uh touchdown score props i know a lot of shows do these and i feel like they're fun but it's not something i think i throw my money at just because i feel like it's I, a dartboard it it's a thousand percent a dartboard i mean i know there is a little bit of science behind it you can look at the numbers i'm not doing that i'm not diving that deep into these numbers of like first drive how percentages of going to this player blah, blah, blah. no but it is fun and a, and a good payout if it hits. I've only done mm -hmm. a couple this season for the first time. Um, again, I would probably look at someone on the Cowboys for first touchdown, just knowing that Seattle has struggled to score. So even if um, Seattle gets the ball to start, I don't I don't see them scoring on their first drive. So looking at uh, player touchdowns first, again, Tony Pollard is the favorite, plus 450. Um, Jake Ferguson 
I think could be maybe a sneaky play. Actually, now that I'm, that's who I was had in my uh, parlay last week that I forgot when we were talking about that, um, who it was Jake Ferguson at 10 to one, he might be someone I would look at or cooks at 14 to one. Those are two great numbers um, with some good value there. And again, Dak's thrown a ton of passing touchdowns this year. So that would be my, uh, my take for first touchdown. Yeah. My spin of the roulette wheel. Now that I look at Brandon Cooks more, I think he's going to be my play over his receiving yards. It's set around 40. He's hit this in four of his last five. You think it's going to be a big Dak Prescott game. I think a lot of receivers get a lot of yards. So maybe Brandon Cooks can hit on a low number, a relatively low number compared to some of the numbers for other receivers. When we return on the Daily Tip, it's time for the show parlay. Enough of this minus money nonsense. Time for some big plus money. Stick with us. More Daily Tip headed your way after the break. The Daily Tip will be right back on the BetQL Network, presented by BetMGM. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome back to the Daily Tip on the BetQL Network, presented by BetMGM. Welcome back. It's show parlay time. We'll give you our favorite plays. Everybody from the show is going to give a leg. We're going to combine them all up and hopefully go 5-0 and for the weekend and win you some big plus money. Just a little tease. Our parlay this week, 22-1. So hopefully we win it, and hopefully uh, we win ourselves some big plus money. Kate, I see that you are uh, adjusting well to married life. I heard you complaining about something that your husband did. Welcome to the true married world, because I think this is the true you know, sign of the fact that you're actually married, is when you start complaining about your significant other. I will be married for 10 years in January, And it's been quite the ride, you know, of complaining. You notice all of the little things that your husband does (laughs) that when you're dating, you just don't realize them until I guess you're like living together or you're spending a lot of time together. So we were talking about like sleeping habits and how like, you know, some people do some things that are kind of annoying to us. So I'll start if we're doing complaining corner with Chelsea. (laughs) My complaint about my husband is that when he goes to sleep, he watches Twitch on his phone of people playing video games. So it's one thing if he was watching a show and, you know, I can sleep through it. It's fine. But it's literally machine guns going off. And I'm like, sweetie, (laughs) 
Do you think I want to fall asleep to the sounds of unloading guns? No, I don't. So I think this is my complaint with my husband. Uh, is there anything your husband does at night that, you know, gets under your skin? This is a safe space. <laughs> this is a safe space. Yeah, um, I, f I find myself complaining a lot about things that he does, which I feel like if you can complain, like, I love him dearly. He's so sweet. So it's fair if I complain because it's fine. We're, we're great. But you live together. Home. Yeah. Yeah. He comes home. So he works in basketball. He's a coach. So he travels. He comes home, you know, off a road trip. They get in late, comes home two in the morning. He wants to come in bed and, and wake me up and talk. He wants to chat. He wants to tell me about his day, about the road trip, about the game, everything. And I'm like, you know what? There's no reason for us to be having a conversation past midnight, really, especially when I go to bed at 930. Like, you should not be waking me up to tell me about, you know, the free throw discrepancy in the game. <laughs> I don't need to hear about that then. We can talk about that in the morning. So waking up last night or waking up this morning for the show, he made me sleep in the guest room last night because he didn't want my alarm going off at 3.30 and waking him. And in his defense, I can sleep basically anywhere and I can fall back asleep immediately. Like some days I've told him, like, when you come home and you talk to me at three in the morning, you, you can't expect me to remember anything that we talked about the next day. So if there's something important that you told me that I have to like do the next day or timing, you have to tell me again because I'm half asleep when you do that where he would be up all night. He'd be up for the day if I did that to him. So we have different sleep habits. But yeah, no reason to come in and chat with me at that hour. We have all day to chat the next time. Just come in, fall asleep. We'll see each other in the morning. It'll be great, right? Ridiculous. I'm like that with text. Like if you text me when I'm already asleep, I will roll over and look at it, but there will be no memory of said text in the morning. Mm -hmm. Do you ever do that? Because the problem is oh, I have to go to bed really early. So people will text me, you know, at 10 o'clock at night, which doesn't sound that late, but for us it is. So yeah. I will roll over, look at this text. And then people are like, you never text me back. I'm like, that text was basically dead to me. Like if I'm reading it while I'm sleeping, no memory whatsoever. Yes, all the time. And I'm typically great at responding to people. So if I ever don't respond to you, you know it's because I read it at a time that I couldn't respond and then I completely forgot about mm -hmm. it, which in your case is at night. I would do the same thing. So I've actually, a couple times, I've like re, you know how you can like, remake a message as unread i believe you can or i just won't oh if the message is short enough where i can read it all without opening the text i'll do yeah. that that way i still have the notification in the morning um to remind me but otherwise no i would never remember to do any of that that stuff is like basically brain it's a is dream for that yeah it's part of your exactly. dream you're like was that a dream yeah. or did that actually happen who knows so i'm going to continue on with my morning <laughs> uh but <laughs> Yeah, just a few things you should not do to people who have to wake up very, very early. So please don't text us late at night. All right, let's get to our show parlay for the weekend. See if we can win us some big plus money. So Matt, looks like you're going with somebody for the Niners that I'm kind of surprised because you are a huge Eagles fan. But what is this prop I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I'd rather play A.J. Brown, but... He's been kind of down the past couple of weeks. So I'm going to stick with Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel. I think he's going to, he's been talking all this smack. I don't, that's a very hit or miss one, but Brandon Ayuk's been on fire. 61 and a half seems like a pretty low number. And the Eagles 
secondary, they give up a lot of pass yards. So I'm going to stick with Brandon Ayuk to get over 61 and a half receiving yards. When I'm looking at like the fantasy points against like grid, I'm always surprised to see the Eagles up there when it comes to like opposing wide receivers. But you're right. The matchup actually suggests that maybe you take a Niners receiver against the Eagles. All right. Up next, we're going to the college ranks, of course, because David is going to give us uh, his parlay like. So, David, who do you like this week in championship weekend? I, this number just makes no sense whatsoever. So either Vegas has got some kind of inside woo or I'm just completely crazy. But I I had to jump on the Washington plus nine and a half versus Oregon. Yes, Washington hasn't played the best football over the past two weeks, and Oregon's looked like they've put a lot of stuff together. But I still think Oregon can't match up in the secondary against those those wide receivers from Washington and Michael Penix. Do I think or do I think or Washington actually wins a game? Probably not. I think Oregon wins it, but I think Washington can cover that nine and a half. You're right. That line does not make a lot of sense. It almost feels like a rivalry game. Like, remember how high the tensions were in that last matchup between Washington and Oregon? Wasn't Michael Penix Jr. crying after the game? So it just feels like it has another layer to it, and I would be with you, even though that line does not make any sense, I think, to any of us uh, here on the show. All right, Bill, laying a big number. Big surprise. I feel like you're always taking big favorites. I know, and it, sometimes it works out, and and I feel bad because Kate's guest hosting on the show, and I'm going completely against her Iowa Hawkeyes. Come on, but Bill. I mean, I, I sorry, Kate. I don't know how they, I don't know how they score against Michigan. Wolverines have scored thirty plus against everybody except for Double D's Penn State this year. Twenty two and a half. If this game ends up thirty to seven, I'm still on top by the hook. I don't know. Last two years ago, this was a what a forty five to three game. In the Big Twelve champion, Big Ten championship, so Hallball's back. Michigan's got stuff to prove. I'm going to lay the twenty-two and a half. I may not get there until late third, early fourth quarter. I just don't see how Iowa scores more than ten, and I think I think Michigan might drop forty on them. I don't think anybody would be shocked if that was the result. Michigan has looked like an absolute wagon. Their offensive line just bulldozes over just about anybody. And Iowa's offense might be one of the worst offenses to watch in all of college football and any level of football for that matter. All right, next up, uh, we're going to UK. You're filling in for Jenks. I know Jenks would probably throw in Texas, but you are not Jenks. So, Kate, who do you like? Well, one, Iowa's offense is not a might be the worst offense to watch in college football. It is the worst (laughs) offense to watch in college football. And that's the freaky looking at that line juiced plus 22 and a half towards Iowa, something's off there. Bill, I think you're completely on the right side there taking Michigan. I I like that play. I I also like Texas minus 14 and a half, but I am not Jenks, and so I am not going to bet that. I'm going to go Florida State. I'm not as concerned about this quarterback situation as uh, some people might be. Jordan Travis is by far, far better than Tate Rodemaker, but as long as Rodemaker can hold on to the football, not turn it over, he has the weapons on the outside in the backfield for this Florida State offense to be really, really good. And Florida State's defense has also been great this season. If they're able to slow down the run at all, which is a strength of Louisville, I think Florida State can uh, survive this one win. Plus, they have college football playoff implications on the line this weekend. They're going to show up big. I'm taking the Seminoles minus two and a half. 
Ooh, we like it. It's gutsy. All right. So for me, I'm going to go to the NFL and I'm a little nervous about this because it's very difficult to look at the Eagles at home and say, this is a team that's going to lose a game, but I'm going to take the Niners on the money line. They're minus 150, but we're doing a parlay. So I feel like the juice is fine. But if you look at the schedule for the Eagles, it has been an absolute gauntlet of a schedule with stressful games back to back to back starting with that Cowboys game uh, back on November the 5th. The Eagles won it uh, 28-23, one-score game against a divisional opponent. Next up, you go on the road to Arrowhead, nearly uh, lose that game. You squeak out a second half, come from behind, win 21-17, and then the last game they played in overtime against the Bills, 37-34. Mentally, this has to be an absolute grind for a team that has played multiple weeks in really close games. So I think this is the end of it for the Eagles, especially against the Niners. If the Eagles show any sign of weakness, this is not the team to do it against. The Niners have had 10 days to prepare for this game. I'll take the Niners on the money line. So let's start there. Uh, and I guess I will announce the the odds of the parlay. Uh, if you want to put 25 bucks on it, it pays $517. The odds 20 to 1. But Matt, I'll let you start here because I know you're an Eagles fan and I know I took the Niners on the money line. Is this the sabotage factor for our parlay? I mean, what's the one common denominator in all of those games that you just mentioned? They won. Right. But I feel like the magic runs out at some point. And like the Niners, like if you look at the best teams in the NFC, if we're talking about close games, I think the pendulum's going to swing the other way eventually for the Eagles. And like I said, situationally, a really tough spot here. It is. I'm not going to say it's not, especially with the Cowboys looming in the distance. But this is a game that has been circled since the NFC Championship game. And I would be very surprised if the Eagles don't play some of their best football of the season. Yeah, but this game has been circled since last year. By the Niners. Do you know how angry they were after that game against the Eagles in, what was it, the NFC Championship game? So if we're talking about that, I feel like you have to mention mm. Debo Samuel already running his mouth this week. I cannot wait to watch the Eagles and the Niners square off in what hopes to be a very good game. All right, when we come back from the break, we're talking to Mark Drumheller. All things Eagles and Niners. Will he agree with me? I don't know. That's next on The Daily Tip presented by BetMGM. The Daily Tip will be right back on the BetQL Network presented by BetMGM. BetMGM.